Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm going to be your host today. If this is your first time listening, I would love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. Today, we're starting off a brand new series where we'll go through the entire book of Jonah. That's right. The Jonah you're thinking of. Lots of people have at least heard a story in the Bible about a guy getting swallowed by a giant whale, and then that whale spits him back up. And the way I remember it, God told Jonah to do something. Jonah didn't want to do it. Jonah then got on a boat and then somehow ended up in the sea where a huge fish swallowed him. But God saved Jonah and had the fish spit him back up, and then Jonah listened to God. But that's not really how the story goes. Let's get started with our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison, as we look through this small book of the Bible together. Good morning. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we know that it's your gift that we can be here. We know that you're here with us. And I pray that through the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts, you will be pleased. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. A little book called Jonah, a little tiny book that shows God's heart for all people, and a little book that shows how God can work through incredibly flawed people like you and me. And that's where we're going to spend the next couple of months, actually. We're going to spend, starting today, through Easter in the book of Jonah, which is weird, right? Two and a half months in a tiny little book, just 48 verses. You can actually read the whole book of Jonah in three minutes if you're a really, really, really fast reader. I tried, okay? Most, most uh, websites are going to tell you eight to ten minutes, and you're going to be through the whole book. But guys, there's a whole lot in those 48 verses. It raises so many tremendous questions and challenges. It's rich. You're going to see. <laughs> but a lot of folks are going to kick back. You're going to spend two months... And Jonah, it's an outrageous story, isn't it? I think Jonah's kind of the fish story of all fish stories, right? You remember the story. Jonah's on this boat. He's trying to run away from God, what God is calling him to do. This incredible storm comes up, threatening to swamp the boat. Jonah tells the sailors, this storm is my fault. The only way you're going to get out of this storm alive is to throw me overboard. They don't want to do it, but they do it anyway. It says they took Jonah, they threw him overboard. The raging sea grew calm, and then here it is, right after that. The Lord provided this huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights till he repented of his running from God, and which time the fish spits him out, and Jonah goes on to do what God tells him to do, although he's still extremely grumpy. And guys, this is all most people know about Jonah, just this part, just the fish story. And I mean, it is a whopper, right? Seems way over the top. I love telling fish stories. I love telling whoppers. It's fun. But Jonah is one of those places that people find to mock the Bible, I didn't have to dig very far to find this post. It's called Silly Bible, the fishy tale of Jonah. And the writer says, sometimes it's fun to read through the Bible and reach out which of the tales in it is the least plausible, the most pointless, 
the least well thought out, etc. That's quite an endeavor. She says a strong contender for all three of these is the story of Jonah. It has to raid alongside Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel stories as the silliest in the scriptures. A little later on, she says the notion of a man being swallowed by a fish, staying alive and untouched for three days, could only have been written by somebody who didn't have the slightest idea about fish anatomy or physiology. What on earth did they imagine happens to things that fish eat? Where did they think Jonah was going to get his oxygen from? He'd have been dead from suffocation within a few minutes. Would have been substantially, if not completely, digested within three days. There'd be nothing in there to pray, and whatever was vomited up onto a beach would only be fit for gulls and other passing scavengers. Wow. She makes a good scientific point, doesn't she? Which is why Jonah is one of the most well-known and one of the most doubted stories in the whole Bible. And it absolutely fascinates me how much time and energy people have spent trying to figure out whether you can actually be swallowed by a fish and live, whether it's scientifically plausible. found this article... News 24, breaking news first. The article actually describes the digestive systems of fish. Isn't that cool? And then it talks about the kinds of fish that might be big enough to swallow a man. Whale sharks, basking sharks, great whites, whites groupers, sperm whales. Bottom line, according to the article, Jonah's not going to come out alive. This one's from Ask Smithsonian. Could a whale actually swallow you? And their answer is, yeah, but you're hosed. Maybe, but you're not going to live through it. They even tear apart a story. There's a story about a guy in the early 1900s who was swallowed by a sperm whale. They caught the sperm whale. They cut the whale open. They found the guy alive, it says. Their conclusions, nah, that didn't happen. But guys trying to establish a story the Jonah story is scientifically plausible, misses the point, doesn't it? Kind of misses the point of a miracle. There's a really, really old story. I remember telling this story when I was a kid. A uh, kid telling his parents about what he learned in Sunday school. The kid says this, or mom asks, what did you learn today in Sunday school? And the kid, the kid says, well, our teacher told us how Moses was sent on a rescue mission behind enemy lines to rescue the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. When he was taken out of the land of Egypt, they got to the Red Sea. It was a huge sea. They couldn't get across it. So Moses had his engineers build a pontoon bridge so the people could cross over the water. And the Egyptian army was on their tails, so Moses radioed the, uh, his, his headquarters for reinforcements, and they sent bombers and while the Egyptian army was on the bridge, they actually took out the bridge, drowned the guys that were on it, and rescued the Israelites. The teacher looks at, I mean, the mom looks at his kid. Is that what your teacher actually taught you in Sunday school? Well, no, but you'd never believe it if I told you what they told me. <laughs> so I don't care if they can really prove scientifically that there's a fish that can be proven swallow a man whole, spit him out three days later, and he's still alive. What I care about is this. Is there a God? 
Is there a God? And I think there is. I think the idea that this whole universe popped into existence on its own out of nothing. Now that's crazy. I think the idea that everything that is just gradually morphed into what it is now without a designer, that takes way more faith than I've got. Because you see, what I really care about is whether there really is a God. Because unless your God is really, really puny, not worthy of being called a God, then you can't discount the idea of a miracle, can you? I mean, the God who simply spoke the universe into existence with a few words, well, you think pulling off a fish story like Jonah would be too hard for him? Seriously? Because in reality, every single miracle, every miracle is a fish story, isn't it? The reason we call them miracles is because they are not normal, they're not natural, they are not scientifically plausible. Virgin birth, walking on water, stilling a storm by uttering a word, healing a, a lame man, lame from birth by touching him with your hand. Protecting three guys who are in a fire, a guy who's in a lion's den, raising his son from the grave. Every one of them is just as scientifically implausible as the fish story in Jonah, aren't they? But if there really is a God, and if God really is omnipotent, here's the deal though. Maybe this fish swallowing Jonah, spitting him out three days later, is not what Jonah's really about. That would surprise a whole lot of people. Maybe the miracle part of the story is relatively little. I think way too many people get so wrapped up in the fish story that they miss the incredible lessons, the incredible gems of this little book. This story isn't about the fish. This story is about a guy like you or me, a very flawed man. This Jonah, this prophet of God, he's like me. Not because he's a prophet of God, but because he's a jerk. He has encounters with God, just like I have had, and sometimes he handles those encounters with God very poorly, like I have. God keeps blessing Jonah repeatedly, like John has, God has blessed me repeatedly. And Jonah was incredibly ungrateful for God's blessings. So have I been. And when God removed a blessing from Jonah, blessing that Jonah didn't ask for, blessing that Jonah didn't appreciate, he still gets ticked at God for it going away. Like I have. And I'll bet you've been there too. I bet you've had encounters with God, whether you recognize them as such or not. And sometimes you have handled your encounters with God quite poorly. Like Jonah. And I know that God has blessed every single one of you guys repeatedly. And I suspect that you have been incredibly ungrateful at times, like Jonah was. And when God has removed some blessing from you, a blessing you didn't ask for, a blessing you didn't appreciate, I suspect that when it was gone, you still got ticked with God, like Jonah. So his story is our story. There are things we need to see There are things we need to learn. But maybe it's not just the story of a very flawed man who was used by God. Maybe a real big piece of this story is about a desperately, desperately bad 
people who really needed God. That part of the story really grabs me. Really, really, really bad people. And they were hated by Jonah and they were loved by God. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time this morning unpacking the historical context of this little story. I'm not going to tell you a bunch about the city of Nineveh or the Assyrians who lived in it. I'm just going to give you this snippet. These guys were flat out bad. They were flat out evil. You've, you've seen pictures, right, of the ISIS soldiers cutting off the heads of their prisoners. Well, the Assyrians left carvings. We have carvings of the Assyrians skinning their prisoners, pulling out their tongues, stripping their bodies, impaling them on poles. By the way, this picture is of the Assyrians brutalizing Israelites in Lachish. We have pictures of them cutting off hands and feet, piling their heads in mounds or putting them on stakes like they're a totem pole. That's the Assyrians. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to these guys. <laughs> what would you tell God if you were Jonah? What would you tell God if you knew there's a real possibility that that might be your head on that pole? What would you tell God if he told you to go preach to people who had been terrorizing your friends and your neighbors? I want you to go to Baghdad. I want you to go to Tehran right now. Preach Jesus. We'll dig a little bit more into the historical context next week. Bottom line is this. These were bad people. These were evil people. Jonah hated them with what he believed was a righteous hate. You ever hated anyone before? I'm not talking about have you ever been annoyed with some person or maybe there's someone you just don't get along with or maybe there's someone you even deeply dislike. I'm talking about hate. Have you ever hated anyone before so much that you hope they burn in hell? You hope they never, ever, ever taste God's grace. In fact, if they, if they repented and they tasted God's grace, that would be offensive to you. I think maybe I have hated. It's embarrassing and it's ugly for a Jesus follower. So when God sends Jonah to preach to a people that he hated, he gets really annoyed with God. Because, guys, when you hate some person, you're going to clash with God. You're hating people. It's going to get you at odds with God. You see, I, I love it when God graces people that I love. I even, I even love it when God graces people that I'm neutral towards. But have you ever resented God's grace towards someone you hate or even towards someone that you merely despise? Have you ever uttered, even in your mind, that blasphemy, God may forgive you, but I never will? You ever said that? So God, Jonah resented God. He resented God for trying to send him to the Assyrians in the first place. He resented God because he was actually afraid that they would listen to his preaching and repent. Can you imagine that? A preacher who, 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 who hated the idea that people might actually respond to his preaching and turn towards God. Jonah didn't want these people to listen to God. Jonah didn't want them to find God. He didn't want them to to repent of their sins and be all forgiven-like. 
He wanted him dead. So he goes after God. God, you're doing it wrong. Grace is cool when people deserve it, he thought, stupidly, like we do sometimes. But maybe, guys, this story really isn't about a big fish. Maybe not. It's about a flawed prophet. Maybe it's not about a really, really, really bad people who needed saving. Maybe this is really a story about God. Maybe this is a story where we learn a whole lot about God. And in this story, you will see how big God is. The scope of his judgment is a place to start. The scope of his judgment. Did you know that? Do you believe that someday every single man, woman, and child, everywhere, all time, will stand before God? And what happens next for them in eternity will be determined by him. That's what Jonah tells us. And these Ninevites weren't even a people who acknowledged God as God. Certainly wasn't their God. They worshipped their own gods. They worshipped a whole bunch of what we would think to be puny little wannabe gods. Well, God says, I'm your God too. And the real God, our God, was calling him to repent, even though they hadn't even acknowledged him as their God. And for some reason they listened, because for some reason they recognized that they ought to respond. And it's still the way it works. Guys, what I'm going to tell you is not politically correct, but we believe it's God's truth. It does not matter whether you're a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu. It doesn't matter whether you are nothing at all. Someday you're going to stand before God. And Jesus is going to be there. And what happens next will be determined by what you do with Jesus. That day's coming. But there's a whole lot more about God that we're going to learn from this little book. This one is huge. This one is immense. I just wish all Christians could get this. God wants everybody saved. God wants all people saved. No exceptions. He wants all men saved, even the worst of the worst, even those that you and I would rather see damned. The grace of our God flows through this book is absolutely mind-boggling. And there's one other piece related to that. God wants us to give the same kind of grace we get. If you've gotten grace from God, he expects you to give grace didn't happen in the story. Here's what happened in the story. It says, after God saw what the Assyrians had done, how they had put a stop to their evil ways, it says, God changed his mind. That's weird. God changed his mind. We're going to get back to that one. That one blows a lot of people's minds. God changed his mind, and he didn't carry out the destruction that he had threatened. So here's how Jonah responds. When the Ninevites repent, Jonah is ticked. He's furious, loses his temper. He yells at God, God, I knew it. That's why I ran off to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were full of grace and mercy. I knew that you're not easily angered. You're rich in love. You're ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So God, if you're not going to kill them, kill me, Jonah says to God. I'd be better off dead than to see what you're doing here. It's an incredible story, isn't it? 
It's right there. Jonah goes off and he pouts and he mopes, grumbles, furious, rages, sits there eating dirt. says God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there and pretty soon it spread its leaves over Jonah's head shading him from the sun which eased his discomfort and Jonah was grateful for the plant. Next day this worm chews on the plant and it withers and it gets really, really hot outside and God sends this blistering wind to make Jonah miserable and Jonah prays again to die. It's a weird story. And here's how the story ends. These are the last verses in the story. You ready? God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because a plant dies, you twit? And I threw that in. God was thinking it, I'm sure. Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you feel sorry about a plant, even though you did nothing to put it there. Came quickly, died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people people living in spiritual darkness. Shouldn't I feel sorry for them? In other words, God says to Jonah, how dare you? How dare you receive my grace and refuse to give it? Where's your gratitude? Where's your grace? You didn't deserve it either, Jonah. It's a great little book. I'm looking forward to digging through Jonah. I think it's going to be a great study for us, incredibly challenging. Guys, it's way bigger than a fish story. It's about using a a God using a very flawed man like I am, like you are. It's about God loving on an incredibly evil people, people that we would righteously despise, we think. It's a story about the amazing power of God, the scope of his judgment, the grace of our God. And I suppose it's a story about me. A story about you. You know, the book of Jonah really has no ending. I think it's because you're supposed to write it. It's a story about how big our God really is. Do you actually believe in God? Do you actually believe? Do you live like you believe in God? How do you respond when God nudges you? Because He does. How do you respond when God nudges you? What do you think about God's grace? His grace towards you and his grace towards the people around you, even people that you despise. Are you stingy with grace? When you pray, do you actually expect God to respond? Do you actually think that your prayers can change God's mind? Really? One last thing. Chapter 2 of the book of Jonah, you can read Jonah's prayer, the prayer that he prayed inside the whale. (laughs) He, He prays these words. It's got about nine verses. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and God, you listened to my cry. And it goes on for seven more verses. It's a powerful prayer. Well, how do we know what he prayed How do we have any idea what Jonah prayed? I mean, there's no one else in that fish, right? Well, they didn't have dinner together inside the fish. There's no hidden cameras, no hidden microphones, no cell phones, no Alexa. Well, here it is, guys. 
at some point, Jonah had to tell somebody. He had to tell somebody his own sordid story. He had to tell people about how he ran from God and how he hated those people that God loved and how he was so annoyed with God's grace and God's ways and what God did to scold him. What remarkable honesty. How authentic does a man have to be to tell a story like this about himself? How courageous does a man have to be to own it? Well, I want to be like that too, and I want you to be like that too. That authentic, that honest with God, that courageous. See, God can't heal what we're not honest with Him about. He knows anyway. Do you have the courage to be ruthlessly honest with God? The reason I wanted to end there is because that's what the Lord's table is about. Getting ruthlessly honest with God. It really is. This is a table for sinners. Are you a sinner? Are you a sinner who's been graced by God? Are you grateful for what he's done for you? Every one of us is. Every one of us deserves nothing. And we are offered life from God for now and for forever. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body. This is my body which I'm giving for you. Remember me. Always remember. He goes on, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper and he's saying, this cup, it's a new covenant. It's a new contract, the new covenant between God and man, our covenant. It's an agreement confirmed by my blood, by my blood. Remember me every time you drink it. Remember me. And we try to do that, don't we? That's what our Lord's table is about. Every single week we gather here to remember the grace that God poured out on us. To remember to be grateful, to be thankful to the God who graced us so. To remember that we're supposed to reflect that grace to others around us. It's a time of remembering. Other things that we do at this table, there's a black offering box. If you call Capital City your home, those of us who are Jesus followers who call Capital City our home, that's where we give our first part back to God. We consider that an act of worship. And then there's a white bucket. If you've got a dollar or two in your pocket and you want to drop it in there, that's cool. Every dollar that goes in that bucket, we just use to love on people. We take care of people sometimes in this church family, sometimes beyond. This is a time to get honest with God. Do you stand with God? If you don't, I mean, don't leave this room. If God is nudging on you and you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, don't leave this room without taking that first step, guys. I'm going to be sitting right down here somewhere. and Come and find me during this Lord's Supper time or just find me after the service or meet me right after, after this service in that connections room. We're going to have that little getting started class, getting started with Jesus. What does that look like? What does it mean? I'd love to chat with you. If you want, there's also one of our elders back in that prayer room. He'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Or it may be that you just have been wandering and you need a church family. If you need a church family, 
If you want to be with us, we'd love to have you. Jesus is the Lord of your life. We'd love to have you as our brothers and sisters. You can either come up and talk to me or behind, in front of you in that chair, there's this little blue decision card. Write down your contact information and we'll get in touch with you and we'll talk about making Jesus the Lord of your life or making Capital City your church family home. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for his incredible grace. It embarrasses us sometimes when we can reflect on how graceless we can be. And I pray that you will cleanse us again. Help us to remember and then to stand tall as Jesus followers. We love you so dearly. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.